used to say in uh, the monastery, another day, another Dharna meal. <laughs> we used to say in South Africa, uh, another, uh, another day, another dilemma. And I think now in America we say another day, another disaster. <laughs> <laughs> but we have some medicine. <laughs> uh, so there's a sort of tantric teaching that the fiercer the, the challenge, the, the greater the awakening. And that the more the Ajahn uh, Master Wa used to talk about, the more the awakening, the faster the obstacles come. You know, there is a force that even the Buddha um, encountered that really doesn't, seems to want to undermine awakening and beauty and peace and love and truth uh, and connection. So, um, also Ajahn Chah said, you know, it's good to, you know, really practice and focus and deepen, but also don't stay in the trenches. <laughs> you know, we have to learn to, to, to get out and meet the conditions of life, uh, but hopefully with some resource and some skill and some agility. So just to talk a little bit about practice as we begin to contemplate and the retreat is turning towards the end of this form, but the, the forms end, but the practice continues. Um, and this, uh, some of the um, things that have been helpful for us that we can take with us and, and practice with and develop until they become our own. And as they become our own, then we find ways to also share that on. Um, and this was very much the encouragement of Ajahn Chah, he said one day when, in, when, uh, in, from, uh, Thai, when he had his Western disciples in Thailand, one day you'll go back to your countries and teach. So he really encouraged us to take the teachings out. And he said, but just don't be the sort of teacher that gets so big you can't get through the door. As Master Wa would also say, you know, said directly to Kitty Saro on the phone to his ear and to us as, uh, as devotees, you know, that your, your mission is to bring these two traditions, the terror, northern and southern schools, bring them together because if they unite, Buddhism has a future. Don't think one is superior to the other. Let your mind be limitless. The teachings have no limits. It's his transmission and his encouragement. Um, so these, this, you know, Dharma is empty-handed, offered by the Buddha with no conditions, without cost, without uh, bargaining, um, without preferences to all living beings. But it's very much needed at this time as an antidote to the great toxicity and so we were encouraged when the very first time I met Ajahn Chah, um, he, I was sitting on a retreat in England, which is where I grew up, um, within an Irish family that had come over from Dublin, as a, primarily as economic immigrants, really. Um, 
and we were young people, and it wasn't that long really, I guess, 1970-something, mid-70s, 75, 30 years after the Second World War had ended, which had disrupted and devastated Europe. And here we were, 70 of us sitting on a retreat in these Nissan hats that were built in one of these old stately homes that was actually now owned by a Burmese family that had escaped the, the, um, in the 1960s from Myanmar, it's now Myanmar, and there were Buddhist, devout Buddhists, and they had set up these, they, this, this huge, huge stately home, this sweeping drive, Victoriana home. Um, and at the back of that, there were all these huts that were set up as uh, evacuee camps for the children that were fleeing London in the Blitz. And that's where we were meditating. It was where I did my first retreat, doing this very intense method for the Ubarkin, Goenka lineage, um, which was taught by a Burmese monk that couldn't speak English. So I, all I understood, he said, just observe. But I didn't know what to observe <laughs> for most of the retreat. So, and it was completely um, painful and difficult and I tried to run away and I never really was able to. So I'm still here. <laughs> so anyway, we were sitting there in this stewing away in this intensity and pain and struggle and suddenly, and I wasn't, I didn't know that because no one spoke and no one looked at each other. But suddenly in the front door of this hut, um, these two beings that looked like they'd just come from out of space walked in. And one was Ajahn Chah and the other was Ajahn Sumedho, his, his primary and first Western disciple. And Ajahn Chah was, was quite squat. He, he sort of looked like a bullfrog. He had this really rotund kind of belly. And, uh, and Ajahn Sumedho was just, at that time was quite thin, was this tall, lanky Westerner. And they looked sort of rather odd together. <laughs> and they had this really incredible like, vibration and I felt like I was an iron filing being pulled to a magnet. I, I was completely stunned by the vibration and the energy that they kind of waltzed in with. And it was very uh, impactful for me. I sort of felt intoxicated immediately. And um, little did I know at that point, but I, I think the seed was planted for my moving towards and entering the training with Ajahn Chah and then Ajahn Sumedho. But um, the monastic training. Well, the first things that Ajahn Chah did, he looked at us all. He looked quite amused as he looked around the room with the struggling Westerners not knowing what they were doing, competing with each other to get enlightened. And uh, he just, and in the corner was this statue that we didn't even know. I didn't even really know this was Buddhism. There was just this statue in the corner that we just sort of stuffed in the corner. And he, he kind of looked at this. It was actually a Buddha statue. And he went up and he very reverently picked this up, sort of dusted it off <laughs> and brought it to the front of the room and placed it. This was without saying a word yet and bowed to this, uh, this Buddha statue. And, and when he bowed, I, I just felt this was a very complete gesture. I just felt this, you know, that's the perfect response to life is just to bow. So that was my first transmission. And then, then I heard he was giving a talk to Oxford students, so I snuck out at the retreat because I was, certainly was not going to miss anything that he was about. And it was in Thai and it was being translated and I didn't understand really very much. But I remember sitting there thinking, this is, you know, this is real Dharma. I didn't actually even think it in those words, but I felt this guy knows. 
I mean, I didn't even think those words, but this great sense of he knew, he knew something, and it, whatever he knew, it was real. He knew reality, that's what I felt. And so I was, I was feeling like, this is wonderful, this is good, this is excellent. And then at the end of the talk, he said, if you've been sitting here thinking this is good or bad, you haven't been listening properly. <laughs> and I thought, that's really wonderful. <laughs> so that's the listening of Ajahn Chah and the listening of the Dharma. To listen so deeply, you know, to keep listening to where we get to and how we come to our conclusions, either about our insights of what we understand or what we assume about what's going on. And that's a marker in, in the sand, but it doesn't have to become a rigid position. And then, you know, maybe that, that, that's challenged or, that, or we see it again or we realize we don't have to build a house there and we listen again. And we realize that, you know, the truth is a dynamic unfolding. It's not a static thing that someone has. Um, and that we're all listening into that, and we're listening into this heart. This heart, as um, Ajahn Tate, uh, this jitta, mind-heart, the great forest master would say, the practice is discerning the difference between the mind and its activity. And in that practice, as was being pointed to yesterday in uh, Kitty Saro's um, meditation and guidance, is to soften and uh, learn to the extent that we can to release out of being caught in the wheel of suffering. And, and that softening and that gentle release um, in, in a way that feels safe and importantly held for us as was discussed, um, that we actually start to recognize there's a deeper dimension that's actually not deep or far or lofty or above, but it's actually intimate and is apparent. And here for us to recognize this, that which is listening, that which is present. And this heart has the natural qualities that we can, we can engage and develop without obstructions, without hindrances operating, the heart's automatically in its natural nature is already luminous, radiant, intelligent, responsive. It already has innate, within wise and compassionate activity. Compassion being really the activity of, of, of deep wisdom, deep seeing, which is why Kuan Yin, Avalokiteshvara, is a perfect metaphor for this profound meeting of depth, wisdom, and compassion. They, they emerge of loving kindness, of joy and uh, equanimity. These Brahma-viharas that we were chanting this morning in the, in the uh, session, early, se- early morning session. So these qualities I just like to really just very briefly touch into for us to contemplate today because they are about when the heart is releasing from this subtle grasping at the wheel that that goes and moves, the mind in its activity, the identification that happens through the different shapes of the self and how that sort of that's energy of becoming and um, then the constriction around that when there's a that subtle sense of just 
seeing, it's not even releasing, it's actually not even really doing, the seeing in and of itself releases. Um, And in that moment, we're starting to feel into and recognize um, that deep peace, you know, and this is the ground, this the profound sacred ground which infuses all matter, all things, or manifestation. But that deep peace of the heart also in response when it's touched by conditions in the relational field, which is what we'll be moving into. And we're already in the relational field, <laughs> of course. It just gets a bit more intensified when we go out of the retreat form. We're in the relational field even when we close our eyes in relationship to all the beings that come to visit, all the feelings and all the energies that we have. That this heart has has the capacity to respond through these Brahma Viharas naturally. But when that's not happening, when there's obstruction, we have the opportunity to cultivate them. With the metta or the loving kindness Many of you have been schooled quite profoundly in the trainings around this quality. But essentially, it's the the heart of friendliness in a way that's um, unconditioned and not expecting uh, returns for extending uh, kindliness, care, friendliness. So the Buddha teaches if we can cultivate that equally to ourselves, to friends, to neutral, to enemy, um, that this is the maturing, you know, to train the heart, even though we feel aversion, we feel anger, we feel rage, and perhaps appropriately so, and within that energy there's wisdom uh, to be distilled and understanding and truths, but to dwell in that energy and to make much of it, as we heard about Mr. Mandela, only really poisons ourselves poisons this world. So to train the heart not to dwell in aversion. Um, To train to be able to befriend. Starting first with this being and these beings that we are the orphans of our consciousness and what comes to visit us. Um, And even if we're practicing this and we can't really feel kindly towards our enemy or to those that have hurt us, or betrayed us, or abused us, which, you know, is not expected always that you can say, may, may you be well, although that can be actually a sort of kung fu movement that releases out of that grip of the being pulled into that vortex. But even if we extract from the person that activates us and contemplate the energy that's activated, then we can start to work with that, with that kindness. And then the second Brahma Vihara of compassion, compassion, where we're willing, the compassionness is the willingness to feel suffering, actually. It's very simple. Not to be completely flooded and overwhelmed and not to be completely resistant and isolated from it because we don't want to feel the pain. But it's the development of the resilience and the willingness to feel with the suffering um, of, of others, of ourself, and suffering energy, as I was just saying. Um, often we'd rather just judge than we feel. It's easier we go up into our head and blame and judge, or we belittle or dismiss. 
and we create this chasm and we can have a lot of very um, quite um, good reasons for creating chasms. But the compassion is that which, you know, as someone said, um, the heart that crosses the chasms that the mind builds. This is compassion. That's willing to um, feel the poignancy and vulnerability of, of, of all sentient life and to resonate with that, to quiver. I think Erin uh, talked about the heart that quivers. Um, it's not pity or patronization. It's not like I have power and I want to, you know, and then I feel good about. You know, it's a deep entering into that intimacy with, the, with all beings and other beings and life and where we're challenged to actually feel more deeply into suffering. And it's also a strong practice. You know, the Dalai Lama talks about how he wouldn't be able to endure what he's had to endure without the bodhicitta heart, this heart of great compassion uh, that's rooted in understanding the depth of the impermanence of things, the transmutability of things, ultimately the profound insubstantiality of all things. So that compassion is... is is um, supported by deep equanimity, which Aaron was talking to last night, as something, a quality that we'll, we'll really need in the times to come, <laughs> and today, <laughs> and whatever unfolds from today here in this country. You know, this, this equanimity is, is, uh, is traditionally it's, caught, uh, it's taught as a, as a contemplation on, on karma, on not as, you know, karma in a way that we think, you know, I'm bad because this has happened, but more like this is how things have come to be because of causes and conditions, many of which we can't really even begin to fathom. Um, So, and they're not just personal, they're collective and ancestral and historical and we're in a stew of collective karma. You know, this is the things that have gone before have given rise to this. And so this deep equanimity is the willingness, the deep patience, again, rather than informed by compassion, rather than judging it all and dismissing it all and getting caught up in it all. It's the, the resilience to bear with the, wor- the winds of the world. I mean, even the Buddha couldn't escape criticism and blame and people trying to take him out and his sangha being split and um, you know teachings that didn't work um, that failed or you know um, you know all of this everything that we experience the saints and sages also have worked through the great people that we admire and with with this the from the equanimity and being more even in response to all the ups and downs, lessening the preferences. I'll only help this one, but not that one. I only like this and not that one. There's the ability for this mudita, this joy, this, this really wanting to support the success of others, not just my own tribe or those that I you know, invested in and manipulating somehow, 
but may may all even those that I uh, you know it's hard to wish for the success of others when we're competing, especially when it's in our field. You know, may may you know that person fall down a kind of a hole. You know, that's the kind of feeling we can have sometimes. You know, of of, the, of jealousy and envy, and so you know the compassion is to those feelings. Yes, I do feel that, and I you know work through that. It's natural. It's part of our human propensity. But the mudita is a very evolved quality to not only seek the welfare, promote that, actively go out of your way to to hand over to others, to give them the success, but also to actually align with beauty and goodness in ourselves and in each other. As, as um, Sam said to Frodo, when Frodo got to more, it was going to Mordor and it got more and more, you know, um, overshadowed with the, the eye of Sauron. You know, we, it's a great metaphor for our times. <laughs> and he's like, and as that was happening, it was like this feeling of like just dragging himself and losing his sense of hobbitness, you know, the, the happiness and, you know, just the, the, the simple joy of life and you know this great cry of why why do this which is was our cry isn't it why bother it's all so impossible it's all going down you know it's just grab it while you can and you know held to everyone else and sam said well um gave this beautiful speech that you know it's just like the days of old when when our when all of our you know, those that have gone before when they struggled because, you know, and overcame what seemed like an endless shadow, but that the, the they overcame because there is, there is goodness and goodness is worth fighting for. And then one day the sun comes and it shines and it casts away the shadows. And that's why we do this, because there's goodness and beauty in all of us. And that's what we stand with and that's what we promote. And that's what we engender. So all of these qualities are innate. They're beautiful qualities. And sometimes it's so easy to just think, oh, I'm just suffering being. And there's all these struggles and all these difficulties. And we forget to remember that every day we're extending these qualities. You know, they're happening naturally. You know, it's the glue that keeps us uh, together internally and externally. But also we can heighten them, we can quicken them. You know, we can practice them, we can remember them, we can contemplate them. When the opposite arises, we have the tools and the remembrance. We can bring this forth to this obstruction. And to know that, you know, as the great, that, you know, all of this ultimately merges all of these qualities as they come into response all merge back into this endlessly profoundly intelligent responsive living dharma which is as Ajahn Chah would say our task is to to be the dharma and so that we are conduit for that dharma and each of us will be a very unique conduit in our culture, in our families, in the situations that we, that we live within and in the circumstances we meet. You know, and that's the beauty of the Dharma. 
it can manifest and is available to all and, and lives and moves through all beings. And we are just awakened to that and consciously cooperate <laughs> and in, in service of. The Buddha said, what can I serve? And he understood, I serve the Dharma. You know, I serve life. So in our service, you know, as Ananda Mayama said, when asked, who are you by Yogananda? Tell me something of your life. And she said, well, there's very little to tell. I've always been the same. You know, as I'm here before you, as I grew up, as I came into this world, as this body got married, I've always been the same. My consciousness has never identified with this body. It's always been the same. And even after, though the dance of creation changes around me in the halls of eternity, I shall be the same. Whatever is going down, same. Whatever worldly winds, whatever we're going into, there's that which unmoving, present, here, responsive, loving, kind, peaceful, deeply intelligent, deeply knowing, quantum leaps of shifting in response. And to trust that, as Ms. Sagadatta said, sorry, I feel like a quote machine, but this will be the last one. (laughs) Reality comes to us in the unexpected. To trust that not just the structures of our minds and our assumptions. Reality comes and appears in the form of the unexpected. We need that now. (laughs) We need that and we can quicken that, be in service to that. So just to find a a posture you feel uh, comfortable with. As we settle with our breathing to the extent that we can, that we feel able to uh, soften and be uh, spacious and gentle with ourself in our body. Uh, we find an out-breath, just allowing a, a softening from trying to get somewhere or hold on or to the, mi- to the minds of views or the resistance or adding anything. But just to the extent that we can and it feels appropriate for us, just softening and releasing on an exhalation Breathing in a sense of a little bit more spaciousness and gentleness.
Allowing the breath itself and the space around us and the earth and the elements to support us. As they did the Buddha bearing witness, this earth. Breathing in the strength of the earth. And breathing out, just softening. As if we are sitting on the edge great expanse of ocean and on the horizon just as the morning sun is rising gentle light and warmth and luminosity and if we like and if we can to whatever extent is possible imagining within that light arising on the horizon across the ocean is the image of Kuan Yin in whatever way Kuan Yin speaks to us whatever form, whatever kind of being, or maybe just a gentle, suffusing light, luminous light, coming towards across the ocean. Coming and merging within our heart. Invoking this ancient, energy of compassion and mercy that's helped support all realms throughout time and space. To come and join and be resident in our heart, to join with our own hearts, love and sensitivity. Voking Kuan Yin. Kuan Yin in her mercy, his mercy, be present for us now. And gently breathing in, suffusing through our body this light and mercy and warmth, and lovingness, Kuan Yin's energy, profound acceptance of our being, suffusing through all the cells of our body, through the bones, through the DNA, through the ancestral inheritance, through the flesh and the blood, through the tingling and sensations, softening and healing and illuminating those places where we hold, where there's suffering, our own and that from what we've inherited from what's gone before, as it appears within our body, the patterns and shapes of our family and ancestors. Offering that, all gathering it and offering it to the heart of Kuan Yin, in our heart. Perhaps even as we breathe in, gathering that (coughs) offering and then breathing out, suffusing from Kuan Yin's light through our body, through our being. And the same with, uh, as we extend our mind further, just touching lightly into this to the extent that feels supportive for you or just hearing the words, 
or listening into the silence between the words. Finding the way that works for you in this softening and opening into your deeper heart, listening, inviting great forces of compassion, Kuan Yin's mercy. You are being, extending that out to include, as we are here on this land, those ancestors and those that have lived here before, right through this periods of great time. And those here now and across this country today, just gathering in all of the energies that we know of this great challenge of our times here in these lands. All that's happened, all that's gone. It's offering that into the great listening, fast compassion, unbounded, timeless, patiently ever here to receive. May Kuan Yin receive all of the pain, all of the division, all of the hurt. Extending out her radiance, her light, her mercy, his strength, his kindness, their joy, their equanimity, <coughs> resonating out in all directions above and below, across the lands, a great wave of golden turquoise, whatever colors come to mind, in whatever way, across these lands, far and wide, may all beings be well, may be free from suffering, may they be touched by peace, may be liberated from these old, painful stories, we don't need any more. Feeling that expanding out across other countries, other lands maybe you have an affinity with. Towns, cities, places, beings, areas of the planet. Where there's wars and incarceration, suffering, displacement, those also in power, without discrimination, all beings, the asuras that crave power, devas that love to delight in beauty, those beings in the animal kingdom caught in the machineries of our oppression, domination, the earth herself, insects, the grasses. It's so huge that we just gather it, we offer it into the huge, fast, undying heart of great compassion. All the saints, all the enlightened ones, all the bodhisattvas, all the beings that have inspired us, that stand 
and a width for the long haul. The awakening of all beings, the commitment to be here, offering that so it can be heard, all of the suffering received, dissolved, and extending out in great waves to the extent we can across the globe, around the globe at this time. Breathing out, extending light, warmth, healing, mercy in Kuan Yin's heart. May all beings be protected. May they find their true, authentic freedom and power. May they be guided by that which increases harm and increases compassion, wisdom. This great trial the planets and all beings are undergoing. May all the forces of love, goodness, truth be with us, be with us always eternally. Guide, heal, and may we be in service of that great Dharma in any way that we can. As if we're breathing with all beings this deeper aspiration, deeper cry for the alleviation of suffering, deeper invocation strength, courage, all beings breathing together, dissolving the shadows, liberating pain, bringing peace, extending that out. Even the insects are breathing with us the birds, the turkeys, the deer, all communities. Friend, foe. Solving distinctions. So we just come back just to our breath, settling in our body feeling the seat beneath us. Simply breathing, allowing the sense of other self, planet, time, space to dissolve in the simple knowing of how it is here, one breath at a time. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.